I'm Susan McIndee Brady. Welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast. Please join me in exploring what it means to lead inclusively. I'm excited to welcome Greg Morley as our guest today. Greg is the Regional Director of Human Resources, Asia Oceana for Moet Hennessy, a division of Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Greg leads the HR function for the company's operations across the region and Moet Hennessy's global strategies to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion across the organization. Prior to joining Moet Hennessy, Greg was Vice President of Human Resources for Asia Pacific for Hasbro Inc. and was Vice President of Human Resources for the Shanghai Disney Resort based in Shanghai. He has been based in Hong Kong, Paris, and the United States for Disney. Greg is playing a leading role in the team working to produce Gay Games Hong Kong 2020. Greg and I met several years ago in Singapore when he was working with Hasbro, and I can tell you, Greg brings a personal and professional passion to the development of talent and to helping others achieve more than they believe they can. Welcome, Greg. I'm thrilled to have you as a guest on the Better Understanding Podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for inviting me, Susan. I adore our conversations and any chance to spend some time with you for me is a great opportunity. So thank you very much for making the time on your morning or your evening and my morning in Hong Kong here. I know we're a good 13 hours apart. So, so Greg, what do you want our listeners to know about you that I didn't say in your introduction? Hmm. I, I think what's important to know about me is I'm still sort of a product of where I came from. I was born and raised outside of Philadelphia. My mother still lives there. My sister lives there with her family. And as far as I've gone in the world and as far away as I live from that part of the world now, so it's, as you said, 13 hours away, I still go back to that place for really who I am, my values, and and it shapes a lot of my experience in life even now, having lived around the world and discovered so much and learned so much. And I feel just super fortunate to have that basis of life outside of Philadelphia, and but really be able to grow from there. Life has always felt like an adventure, but because I think I've always had that grounding of the place that I came from. I love that idea that almost like you can close your eyes and, and be back where you're from, no matter how yeah. far away you are. So how did you come to, to the diversity and equity and inclusion work? When I think about the story arc of your career, it's, it's really as a human resources executive and transformational one at that. Can you share how the DNI part of your world came to be? Sure. And I feel very fortunate now that I'm in a space and a time and a company that is really fully embracing the journey that we're on. My journey with diversity and inclusion started back when I first joined Disney in 1995. So which seems like a hundred years ago in the scale of the arc of what's happened in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was actually responsible for diversity at the Disneyland Resort at the time, as in addition to being head of recruitment. And we were hiring a lot of people. There was a lot of expansion. But I had a very, I would say, maybe two-dimensional view of diversity and inclusion. So everything fell in the, it was either right or wrong category. And everything was about homogenizing the world so that everybody sort of felt safe and included. I'm not really, I think we've come a long way from there, thankfully. But one of the things, uh, my early experiences of, of creating a, I would say, a diversity and inclusion disaster was where we did our recruiting, we would in the morning welcome people into this recruiting center, which was very nice and had a lot of Disney elements to it. It felt like a very Disney experience. And during Christmas, 
we had a Christmas tree. And I came in one morning. I said, oh my gosh, there's a Christmas tree. And I spoke with my team and I said, you know, we don't have any representation of any other holidays that are happening in this time of year. So we should either have those representations or remove the Christmas tree. Let's not marginalize people by putting up our Christmas tree. So they realized they couldn't put any other representations. So the Christmas tree came down, but the Christmas tree came down in an incredibly inelegant way. So later on that day, a team came and they literally dragged the Christmas tree out of the recruitment center across the promenade where people came into the office. And of course, everybody coming into the office could see this Scrooge disaster unfolding. It was a real learning to me about how to do things correctly, but inclusively so that everybody felt like they were along the, the journey. And that was, that, was, that was a great lesson to build from. Oh God, it's, a, it's such a great visual. I can see it. In, in your defense though, I will say that was the thinking of the time. It was really about equality, right? So we're gonna treat everybody the same because we wanted to make sure that everybody felt okay and the same. Since then, we've evolved to the, the ubiquitous understanding of uniqueness is critical, right? Everyone has to feel like they can bring their full self. So we're not taking down Christmas trees. We're probably adding a lot more, right. but that's, that's a great story. So what fuels you about this work? What lights you up? A lot of what fuels me about the work is how personal it is. We have strategies in our company and we, we address it in our organizations, but it's really a personal journey for people. And even I talked about the personal journey of my Christmas tree story. I mean, that was the beginning really of it for me, but I want to share an interaction I had with you, Susan, and you and I have shared very kind of personal learning stories over the years. And this was one that really touched me. And when it happened, I actually thought about, gosh, who, who can I share this with? I'm, I'm happy to share it on this podcast. I'm involved with Gay Games 2022, which is bringing the world's largest inclusion sports and arts and culture event to Asia and Hong Kong for the first time. And so it's a real passion for me personally as part of the gay and lesbian community. So I had an opportunity to meet with somebody last weekend as part of that, and somebody who was interested in joining our team to support one of the sports. And he's a transitioning individual, transitioning from female to male, in his mid-20s, works in the HR profession. And I was just so intrigued by the sort of theme of change in his life. We as HR professionals talk about change a lot. And I think we get a bit immune to it because we become, that's what we do. And this was really fundamental change. So one of the things that really struck me in the discussion, because it's very personal and, and all of us have LinkedIn profiles. And he was telling me the story of how he came about thinking about when he changed his LinkedIn profile from being a woman to a man and his identity as a man. And of course, he's in the profession, so he really had to be purposeful about that. And I stepped away from that interaction in this very positive, very forward-looking, hopeful individual. I, I really gave back to my core about what's interesting about diversity and inclusion. It's that kind of thing. If we can create the space for individuals like that to thrive in an organization, in our company, as our friends... That's what this journey is all about. And in Moet Hennessy, we define our statement as celebrating diversity, equity, and inclusion in its broadest manner, broadest elements. 
I was thinking back to this discussion, trying to imagine as a recruiter, how insightful this individual is about people because of the journey he's had to go to create his own insights in his own journey. And I thought, gosh, I got to figure out how to hire this guy mm. because he would be a killer recruiter. Well, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for him that he's met you on his journey. What comes to mind though, as I listen to you, I think, gosh, you and other people called to this work are really purveyors of acceptance. I listen to this and I think, what this is really about, and maybe what inclusion is about, is a deep acceptance of difference. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it warms my heart. It makes me think this is the work of seeing humans. Yeah. One guest on the podcast talked at the end of the day, really what this is about is love, is just seeing somebody and saying, you're okay, just the way you are. One build, I would say, it actually goes beyond acceptance. I think it's really about celebrating that individual, right? Because I had a discussion with somebody when we were setting up our global DNI council, our leadership team, and he said to me, I'm tired of being accepted. I want to be celebrated for who I am. And we've grabbed onto that because it was so powerful. Is acceptance the new tolerance? We moved from tolerance which was used to be a good thing to acceptance, right. which is like, oh gosh, that's inspiring. We're going to, people can feel like they belong. And now I love what you're bringing to the table in terms of celebrating. Yeah. I, I had an insight this week and we were talking about International Women's Day and how far we've come in terms of celebrating women in our organization. And we're participating in the Simmons Conference. We're sending 40 delegates from our organization but we're sending 40 very experienced, 20 of our most senior inspired experienced leaders. And then we're matching them with 20 of our most highest potential talent, female leaders. And the dynamic it's created since we've done that. I mean, we're just sending out the invitations and everything. It's an absolute celebration. And it's a celebration from even the senior management team who are reflecting back to them to say, this is a great opportunity for our organization. Yeah, I think we have start to see that we're, we're valuing the celebration of people as individuals, as professionals, and their personal lives, because we've learned a lot more about everybody in the last year. And I think that that's a great path forward for us and great progress. So Greg, for the listener who's wondering, okay, what's all this fuss on about inclusion? Why do we need more inclusion at work? What is driving all of this focus on inclusion? I'm not sure that the, the, the two reasons are different, but they definitely in, in some ways can be mutually exclusive. I think the first thing, I'm so happy that we're not having a discussion anymore about why the business case for diversity. I think we finally moved past that this year. Now, I just don't hear it as much anymore. So we know that Fundamentally, diversity and inclusion, inclusive workplaces and equitable workplaces are more successful, have higher return on investment. But then you have to carve back and dial back and say, why? Why are, why are those companies more successful? Well, those companies, employees are included, listened, and heard. And when people bring their true self to work and they can share their ideas at work, the company just naturally is more creative and innovative. I refer back to this global DNI leadership team we have. We set it up in July. 
and it's made up of individuals from every region in our company, different functions, different generations, different ethnicities, orientations, gender. And we were able to accomplish in three months something I have never seen a team accomplish before. And I think about why was that the case? And it was the case that we started out with a very diverse team with very diverse perspectives. We did it in a very inclusive way where everybody owned something and had a voice at the table and, and was heard. And that created an incredibly innovative, dynamic team and results. So I think that that's important for companies to know that we're creating a innovative, diverse organization to build the future of the company. Then on the other side, there is some philanthropic benefit to us as an organization to welcome people into our team, to care for them beyond just the workplace, to make sure that people feel supported. That drives the other innovation and creativity, but it also just makes me feel good about where I work and who I work with. Work should be a safe place. A lot of places in people's lives are not that. And if we can create that, then that's a kind of truly inclusive place to work and where I want my team every day when they come here to think, I'm gonna be able to do my best today. And that's what we wanna create in the organization. What does that safety require? When you think about what it means to lead inclusively, what does that look like? It's a good question. And it's probably a lot of things and a couple of key things. And I think the first key thing is leaders who have empathy because empathy, drives a lot of other interactions. You know, when, when I see leaders who have empathy, they're closer to their teams. They know more about them. And not only knowing about who they're married to and what their personal life is and some of the struggles they may have at home, but they also know about their, their dreams and their desires and their hopes about their careers and the future. And when leaders have that level of empathy and curiosity about the people that work for then they can be better partners in a journey of career and talent development in, in their future. And those teams are oftentimes much more successful than the teams where a leader lacks empathy. So I think if there's one superpower that leaders can bring to the table, it's empathy because it's the door opener for so many other insights and so many other opportunities for great leaders to do great work. I love that you bring up empathy. I just was introduced to a vignette that Brene Brown did on the difference between empathy and sympathy. Have you seen this? No. It's so good. She likens, so if you have somebody who, let's say, crawls down a, a manhole in mm -hmm. the road, right, and is sitting below the surface, somebody with sympathy is standing on the surface and, you know, yelling down the ladder and saying, hey, I'm here. Somebody with empathy crawls down the ladder and just sits next to the person who's in pain mm -hmm. and just is with them. I've recently come across some research that shows that our adult capacity for empathy is declining, which seriously worries me because to your point, I think it's kind of foundational to inclusion. And I, I look forward to doing more work at the Institute on Empathy. One thing that I see that help that doesn't help empathy and it's overload. So empathy does take a certain amount of time thoughtful and time. Yes, exactly. Time. <laughs> I had a recent situation where somebody called me and, and was trying to seek some advice and said, you know, my leader is very caring, but when it comes to getting the work done, they lack 
they completely lack empathy. And I realize the thing you said about sympathy versus empathy. In the moment, if I raise an issue, I say, gosh, that's terrible. But when are we going to get this thing done? So that's sympathy, right? Empathy is, I think, as you said in the manhole cover stories, yes, you're, you're stressed out by something. How can we get this done together? And that builds incredible engagement, inclusive work environment, and loyalty. When I think about understanding, it goes hand in hand with, with empathy. What's the role of understanding? How can we cultivate it? When you think about people in your organization who you, you really want to bring to the table, how, how do you motivate people to try to see what they might not see? Hmm. Boy, what a great question. I'm reflecting back on last summer. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood that was diverse, religiously diverse and ethnically diverse, and racially diverse. I went to a high school that was racially diverse. And uh, I think I shared this experience I had. Actually, we were supposed to have a meeting and I canceled it because we were having this round table in my high school team classrooms. And it was about race. The stories my classmates told, the African-American classmates that I had told about their experience in high school was shocking because to us, to the rest of us, we didn't see it. We didn't see the struggles they had and they didn't ever bring those struggles to the table for the rest of us. We're still a pretty tight group of people. So we see each other regularly. It really moved me to understand, wow, there's so many things I don't know about this experience. What I tried to do is to learn, to read a lot. It was right also around the time that John Lewis died. And I started to do research into his life and the experience he had had and, and had the struggles he had, he had taken in his, in his journey to, to being a very accomplished person. And so that kind of learning is, I think, critical for leaders and organizations because there's just no way you're going to be able to know it all. And you don't know the experience people are having unless you bring some curiosity to it. And frankly, a little, I would say, you know, one of our values in, the co in our company is a spirit of conquest. And a spirit of conquest means you just take some risks sometimes. And sometimes in discussions, you just need to take some risks. And you need to ask the question that might seem a little bit uncomfortable. But if you do it in a way that's genuine and authentic, it can open the door to some learning. And, and as we go through these just shocking situations that have happened, like George Floyd's murder, and then everything that came from it. I mean, I'm on the other side of the world looking at it and trying to comprehend it and, and relearn what I don't know. And then we move into you know, a lot of issues we've had learning about trans individuals in our organization and, and the struggle that trans youth are having. And okay, so I have to learn that too. So just because I have this labeled diversity, equity, and inclusion leader, I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm constantly trying to encourage leaders in the organization to learn along with us and create learning opportunities for them that then they can bring back to their workplace. I love that you're still learning and that you see the mindset of learning is critical. The conquest, what you're asking your people to do is take risks. And I feel like there's so many risks in just having difficult conversations about exposing that you don't know something that maybe you should know. 
I just was corrected about a word that I was using by my 18 year old daughter who is fluent in all the lexicon that has to do with gender. And I, I felt like I kind of got told and I needed to, and I wanted to ask her more because she's on the front line. She's defining this. Her generation is defining this. My question for you is about fear. Where does the fear come from in this whole dialogue? And what can we do about it? Gosh, what, a, what, what an insightful question. I think that the fear comes from people feeling like they'll be blamed and they'll be made to feel bad about what they do, what they did. There are not a lot of reinforcing mechanisms for people in an organization to learn and do better the next time. There are a lot of reinforcing mechanisms for you to do it right the first time. So I think we have to move away from valuing just outstanding performance at the first go and value as much people learning and people failing and people testing and adjusting. And that comes to this diversity and equity and inclusion journey, I think is the same thing where the interaction with your daughter can be different, right? It can be, you know, mom, here's a different way that people are talking about it. And if you want to be cool with young people, here's how I would suggest you do it rather than just slap on the head, which is that you did it the wrong way. And I think a lot of the way we correct people is that it's more punitive than in a learning manner. And, and I'm really proud of the journey that LVMH and MA Moet Hennessy have been on because there's a lot of very honest conversations now going on which were very much, I think, contained to the underrepresented groups. And that's now been expanded. So those conversations, those real conversations are now inclusive of the people of color, but also those people who work with them, allies. And those discussions will help to overcome the fear because there's still gonna be disagreement and misunderstanding, but when we realize it comes from a place of love, as you said before, a place of celebration, a place of learning and acceptance, then those real conversations can happen and people can be less worried about saying or doing the wrong thing because it's done from that place, uh, that, that authentic place. There has to be the safety to do that, right? There has to be the reinforcement to do that. Yeah. What actions do you suggest our listeners take to continue their own journey of understanding about inclusion? Well, there's so much that's accessible now it's almost overwhelming, the books and podcasts and online learning. Even Harvard Business Review is every month doing a specific discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is, that's a, those kinds of things are accessible. But I think the biggest area of learning that we can all pursue is just having the conversation with people who are not like us. And when we have those conversations, like the one I shared with you earlier about the trans individual who I met and learned so much from, when I got to know him as a person, it uncovered all sorts of insights that I, I had not had in my past because I never had that depth of conversation with somebody who was going through that in, in their life. And so by having these discussions with people and really being curious, I think it's easy to sit down and do it with I'm gonna be open-minded, but we still have that unconscious bias in our mind and we have to really check that when we're having these conversations with people. 
these could be people that you don't know or people on your team who are not like you or people that walk work down the hall or live in your apartment building. So when you have these very authentic conversations, you learn a lot. And when you're open-minded and you're really listening, you're learning a lot. And that I think is a way to humanize people. And when you when you when people become humans, then they really are equals. There's equity, there's equity in humanity when we, we see each other as humans and we know each other's stories. And so, you know, when we we have those discussions where you and I talk, I know about your family, I know the, the texture of your life and what journey you've been through. You know that I'm more than just the gay HR executive American living in Hong Kong. There's more to me than that and we can learn from each other. So I do think that the, the personal curiosity and storytelling is absolutely key to the journey of being a more inclusive leader. I so appreciate that answer. It resonates with me fully. Is it rude? How do I know the boundary of inquiring? How do I extend the hand of, I just want to understand you without othering you, or I'm somehow crossing a boundary that isn't okay. Is there a way that you've seen this work where I can make the overture without maybe embarrassing or invading someone's privacy? I just usually try to close that ever present gap between my intention and my impact. Mm -hmm. I talk about it all the time. I need to hear when my impact isn't what I intended and I'm just human and vulnerable and oh, I just get it wrong sometime. But this is risky for people to learn and to be with difference. It's okay to get it wrong. That's the thing we, we should also celebrate because just your curiosity is part of the journey of you know, a more equitable and inclusive world. For me, I guess it's always uh, useful to have great discussions like that over a nice glass of wine, or <laughs> create the right environment for that conversation. When you ask somebody about themselves, it's a sign of recognition and interest and care for them. Just think about it from that perspective. If I ask you about what's the experience been for you being a working mom, trying to grow a business, take on a new super job, that's a sign of caring. It may also come across as kind of ignorant, but for the receiver, it's like, oh, okay, this person cares about me. So if we share it in that way, like I have a stupid question. I don't know anything about the trans world. And can you help me understand what it was like to have the different perspective of, of men and women? This is literally a question I asked of this guy last weekend. And that opened up a lot of insight and, and, and he appreciated it because I came at it from an authentic place. I wasn't trying to be judgmental in any way. I was really trying to learn and understand. And I keep referring to that discussion, but it was so meaningful to me. At the end of that discussion, he said, gosh, I'm sorry I talked so much. And I said, gosh, I thought I was the one doing all the talking. <laughs> so we reached a point of a very fluid discussion, and probably we were asking each other and saying things that were not based in fact or reality or, or the, uh, shared experience, but we grew to, to really appreciate what that interaction was all about. And I think that's the way to go about it with people you're going to ask some dumb questions, but that's because your authentic self just doesn't know those things yet. And again, if you do it in a way that's caring and open to people and, and, and vulnerable and, and humble, then it'll be, it'll always be reciprocated. It's such a great ending point. It's open-hearted. 
and it's generous. And so are you. Thank you so much for you. lending your wisdom. I know you have a whole day ahead of you. Thank you, Greg, for being with us. And I'm really grateful for your participation on our board and just your wisdom and being on the journey with you, rooting for you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I, I'm blessed to have you in my life in different aspects of it. And I've learned a ton of things from you and the people that you're associated with. And anything that I can can share in my own learning. I'm still making mistakes every day along this inclusive leader journey. And fortunately, I'm surrounded by people that will help me through those and, and know that we're all uh, trying to grow together. Me too, man. <laughs> we are in good company. Thank you so much. Let, let's work together and make a huge difference in the world. At the core, leading inclusively starts with a desire to understand. So we hope the Better Understanding podcast sparks something for you that leaves you wanting more. Thank you everybody for joining.